Welcome to the middle of the air. Hi, this is Ken Butcher. Thanks for joining us today. I have Christy English with me. And Christy, I was looking at the old notes and it was 2016. We did our original interview on another book you had. So it's been a little while. Um, so we're going to talk about your latest book, which is Waking Sarah Ann. And why don't we just start out while you tell us a little bit about the book. Sure. Thank you for having me, Ken. I really appreciate it. Waking Sarah Ann is definitely a departure from me. It's a bit of a mix between women's fiction and a little touch of literary fiction in that it's about a woman who goes to the doctor and finds out that she's got early onset dementia. And that's quite a surprise. She never expected anything like that. I guess none of us ever do. And she basically, instead of doing what her doctors tell her to do, which is, you know, prepare herself and make plans and, you know, that sort of thing, she sells everything she owns, quits her job, and drives across the country on a quest to find more joy, basically, in her life because she's had a really... I'd say a quiet life. That's why she call, we call it Waking Sarah Ann, because she feels like she woke up the minute she's told she has a diagnosis. I felt, I felt like she had, you might call her a little bit inhibited, right? Yes, she's very inhibited. She works in a bank. She's never been married. She's a very quiet life. And not much really happens to her. Her mother passed away when she was 17, and it kind of sent her into, I don't know, almost like a turtle shell. For the most part. And she doesn't really wake up. She just goes from day to day in sort of a quiet routine, not really expecting much from life. And then she's completely energized by this diagnosis. Of course, she's frightened and afraid of dying and afraid of, more importantly for her, losing what she knows as herself, her personality and all that sort of thing. That's what really bothers her because her personality will die long before her body does. <laughs> she just cannot accept it. So she goes on a wild drive across the country. So when I was preparing some questions, I was having trouble figuring out how, what I could ask you that doesn't give away plot and doesn't because it, it's a really cool book. I don't want to do that. So I was, it just struck me that this book has a huge range of emotions in it. There's some very happy times, some very non-happy times, very serious times. So what was it like writing this? Because you have to live with this for how long was the writing process? This writing process was actually accelerated. Sarah, Waking Sarah Ann kind of had its own momentum, which I had not experienced before in other books. It took me about a month to write it. I would write 5,000 words a day. She was not kidding. She was ready to go. And that kind of is the vibe of the whole book. When I describe it, it sounds so sad and so depressing. But while I was working on it, honestly, I felt joyful and energized and excited because, well, for probably about a third of the book, she doesn't believe her diagnosis, not completely. She doesn't fully buy into it. And when she finally starts to lose time, about two-thirds of the way in, and she realizes that she does indeed have an issue, she even is more interested in having joy and having 
deep and meaningful relationships. She spends more time with people, even people that she just meets. She deals with them in a more authentic way than she ever has in her life. And it brings her closer to her best friend, who is basically her sister, Sam, who's a big character in the novel. But it's basically a novel of a quest. She's on the quest to find what her life could be like. For, and to, she really learns to value every single moment, whether she's <laughs> eating barbecue in Kansas City or looking at the Peabody Ducks in Memphis or eating a beignet in New Orleans with her aunt. She really wants to savor every moment of it. And that's a new thing for her. So it kind of excited me. While I was writing it, I kind of paid attention and said, hey, I need to pay attention to my own life and savor my own stuff. So it was actually more positive than you'd think. Now, you started the book that's set in, well, at least the beginning of it, is set in Savannah. Any particular reason you chose that? I chose Savannah because I am completely in love with Savannah. I, Christy, love it. Now, Sarah Ann has lived there her whole life, so she doesn't really appreciate it <laughs> the way I do, which is kind of a microcosm of her life. To me, Savannah is one of my favorite spots on earth. If I didn't live in Western North Carolina, which to me is heaven, I would live in Savannah. It's beautiful and historic and good food, great people. Anyway, so I chose it because I'm in love with it. So I'm amazed. You, you, you answered the, my other question, which is how long is the, was the writing process? Just a month, huh? Very unusual for me. I've only done it one other time, and um, it's weird. It's, it's as if the book takes on a life of its own. And I was kind of, it was like walking a giant Rottweiler, but not a mean Rottweiler, a sweet one, but one who's dragging you along and sniffing every tree and every bush. But you can't really control the Rottweiler. You're just going along for the ride, you know, so it, that was my experience. But it was wonderful. I really, I had a lot more fun than I would have thought writing it because I just loved her so much. And I loved her. She's got a pretty unique perspective on the world. She's kind of really blunt in the way she sees everything, the way she faces things, the way she even talks to people, which doesn't do really serve her very well when she's working in her day job. She's not at all, her bluntness is not well received. But then when she's living her life more authentically out in the world, she tends to meet people who are more open to who she actually is. When I started reading this book, I couldn't help but start to think about how is Christy going to end this book? Because if this isn't done really, really, really well, which it is done really well, but I thought if she doesn't pull this off really well, <laughs> it's, it's, the whole book is going to flop, you know? So this is, it's almost like a dare. It seemed to me like almost a dare, like um, I'm going to put myself in a situation where the last, I better get that last, five pages, three pages, two pages. I better get that exactly right or I just wasted my time writing the whole book. Did you did you know from the beginning exactly how you were going to end the book? Oddly enough, I didn't. I knew where Sarah Ann was heading just because I knew her really well. And I knew, in my mind, character is a destiny. And given a certain set of circumstances... Sarah Ann could do nothing else than what she actually did in the book. I won't talk about what she actually ends up doing because she doesn't just leap in one direction blindly. She really considers it 
and puts together as much as she can with her mind slipping. She really thinks about it before she does, you know, before she chooses the path she chooses. And the way I ended up with the book ending with, with a different character um, narrating it, I didn't know I was going to do that. I wasn't sure how it was going to end. I thought maybe it would just end with Sarah Ann. You know, because usually it does when it's a first-person protagonist. So it was interesting to see how the book... The book was really the boss in this situation. And I know that sounds like a cop-out. I don't mean it like a cop-out. But I definitely felt obedient to the process. I had to work my tail off, obviously. You have to really work and focus and try to do the best you can. But the book was definitely in control. And I was glad of it because this type of idea would never normally have occurred to me. I, I write, I used to write romances, you know, <laughs> so it's a very, it's very much a departure. And what about the other places in the book that new, you, let's see, we go to New Orleans. I guess I better not even say all the places, but I could say New Orleans, can I? I did say New Orleans. So, <laughs> so unless you tell me to edit it out, I'll say New Orleans and, and a couple other places. You've been to those places. Are those some of your favorite places too? I have not been to New Orleans, though it's been on my list forever, and now I'll just have to go. Now that Sarah Ann's done it, I'll have to do it. <laughs> um, uh, let's see, Memphis, I've been there, but my, I have family there, so that's why I've been there. But I, I've been to, I'm trying to think of where else I've been. Honestly, in a lot of ways, I had been to San Francisco briefly, but I've never been to Portland, which is where she ends up, and I just would love to go to all these places. So it was kind of a fantasy in my way. And as far as I was concerned, uh, kind of a list of where I'd like to go. Now, speaking of fantasy, the, the only thing that, that really stretched my, my ability to believe was the, the, was the cat. <laughs> to believe that there, there was a cat that actually cared about its owner. What, what do you say to that? <laughs> cat people will hear me and will, I think, agree. I've had friends who are cats. Now, I don't have a cat because I'm allergic. I can't let him in the house because I'll just sneeze my face off. But I have had many good friends who are cats. I had one cat, <laughs> a friend of mine, I would babysit her when her parents were out of town. Because people who are cat people, they're serious about their babies. They're serious about those cats. And I stayed with Bubble. Bubble was her name. And I would sit down to write. And she, it was a hard part of the book, too. It was when I was writing um, To Be Queen. And it was a tough one. It was medieval politics and all sorts of darkness and awful stuff. And the cat, she had her normal nap circuit. But while I was working on the book, she sat directly behind my chair between me and the door as if to protect me or keep my, an eye on my back. I've never seen anything like it. So cats, I know they get a bad rap, but I think they really do love us when we feed them, <laughs> especially when we feed them. Okay, I guess I, I won't argue that point any further, <laughs> especially especially since I know too many cat people too that won't get after me. So now, now what about? So we talked a little about the writing process on this. What about the editing process? Who was the first person you gave it to 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 read and and give you some feedback? I gave it to my book club, and they were kind enough to adopt it as that month's book. And so they dedicated that whole dinner time to giving me notes. Oh, my God, it was so helpful. Stuff I missed, you know, you, you miss things. You miss, there's whole, there can be holes the size of a bus. And if you're as enmeshed in it as I was, you just don't see it. And at that time, I was still looking for my agent. Um, so I really wanted it to be good when I started the agent search. 
and uh, they helped me polish it. So it worked out. Now I'm working with, with um, Kevin, Kevin Lyon. But I tell you, if it hadn't been for them, I don't know. It wouldn't be as good as it is today. There's no doubt about it. And they're in the acknowledgments. But that, that was one of their favorite things, actually. It's funny you bring up the cat. Sebastian is Sarah Ann's almost like a soulmate, little kitty cat soulmate. And she puts him in the car and drives him across the country with her. It's crazy. He's there till the very last page. It's a great cat. I don't know if I should ask this or not, so we can edit it out if, you, if I shouldn't. What about the guns? Was, was, was that, were the guns in the first draft or were they added after? The gun was completely in the first draft. Sarah Ann is from Savannah, and I am also a Southerner. I can't say for all Southerners. I was born and raised in the South, and guns are just, at least among my family, very normal. You just have a gun. I don't know. At least one. I'm a girl and I have one. You know, but a lot of people just have them. You hope you don't need them, but if somebody comes and busts in your house, you've got it. And that's kind of why Sarah Ann had it. And I didn't put this in the book, but her uncle was a cop, and he taught her how to shoot. So I'd like to, I should put that in a new edition sometime. But he taught her how to shoot, so she knew what she was doing with it. She just didn't target practice enough. But she did have it with her. So she had it with her. She always used it because you never know. I mean, she was, I guess, paranoid occasionally. She was a runner. She liked to jog, so she liked to jog at weird times of the day and night. So she'd just take her gun with her. Now, I myself am not that big a gun aficionado by any means, but she had hers. So let's. Talk, so this was an unusual writing process for you. Let's talk about, you've done so many other books. Well, before I start on that, I noticed you, you had another book out earlier this year, and that was um, The Slow Rise of Clara Daniels, is that right? Tell us a little bit about that one. I haven't read that one, but tell us a little about that. That book, I have been in love with that little, it's it's almost a novella. It's not quite as long as or as in-depth as most of my other books. But I wrote it, the first draft of it, 20 years ago. And I found a new publisher, um, Next Chapter, who I just love. I just adore them. And I was like, well, let's see if they feel this. Let's see, because no one else has liked <laughs> that book but me uh, um, and I was like I love this book so much let's see if they like it and they're from Finland so I guess they dug it I, I don't know what made them like it which I love but basically it's about a telepathic movie actress it's a woman who has telepathy and she uses it to make herself a film star and she's wild she's a different her name is uh, Claire of course Claire Daniels she's definitely got a different worldview the book goes from the time she's 12 to 22, so it's almost a YA novel. It's like a fantasy novel, a YA novel. It was hard to place just because the genre is so flexible. So that's But the finished publisher next chapter didn't mind that, so I really appreciate them. But basically, Sarah, I mean, I'm sorry, Clara Daniels, I'm obsessed with Sarah Ann, sorry. Clara Daniels uh, had telepathy. All the women in her family had telepathy. And she decided she was going to use it to become a film star. And then the book is basically about how she does that and her childhood, why she did that. She's an interesting person. So how in the world did you hook up with a Finnish publisher? <laughs> One of my close friends, Donna Russo Morin, um, she's a fellow writer out there, historical fiction. I think her focus is mostly historical fiction and fantasy. But um, she just mentioned them to me. And they sounded great, and I got in touch with them, and we hit it off. So, sure, it's next chapter. 
that's the English part anyway, but they publish all over the world, all different languages. They're great. They're really, they've been really helpful. Now, did, did they also publish uh, this latest book too? Now, they, they did The Slow Rise of Clara Daniels, uh, but I did uh, Waking Sarah Ann because I'm so obsessed with it. <laughs> I couldn't give up control yet. Okay. All right. So, um, yeah, I was going to go back to your, just your, your if, if there is such a thing, your normal writing habits, you know, that you used on the rest of the books. Is it like, is it a daily routine for you? Honestly, what I do is set a word count, and um, usually a nor- more normal word count is 2,000 words a day, and I just do it until it's done, And then, or, or if I'm working a day job that isn't flexible, then I work before I go to work, and then I'll work at lunch type of thing, but um, Sarah Ann just took over, so that was more than usual, but morning. I like to write in the morning. That's the best time. And is is this where we're sitting? Is this where you, I I didn't mention to the people, but this is I, I'm actually in your house here. Is this the little? Is this your writing this desk it. right here? Oh wow! Okay, desk. cool. I thought I felt a certain you know vibe coming off the table here somehow. <laughs> have you ever written or could you write in a coffee shop? You know I have when desperate. Um, have written in a coffee shop. Not too often, though. But I have done it, and it works fine. It's funny. When I did it, I did it for about six months running at one point in my career. And I got to know, it turns out a lot of people do that, to get away from their dog or their cat or their friends or their family or whoever's in their house. And you kind of get a camaraderie going with the people who sit near you and find out what they're working on and, you know, what the struggles they're having that day with, you know, whether it be with the market or with um, the writing itself. So it was actually really life affirming when I did it because I I had a group of a couple of people who we all sat in the same corner of Panera Bread in Wilmington, North Carolina a while ago. And uh, it was neat. It was fun, actually. I never, I never tried that myself, and I don't know if I would have the. You, you never found it that it was challenging to concentrate. I never found it difficult to concentrate, but honestly, someone could set a neutron bomb off next to me, and I, I'm oblivious. I don't pay attention, even if I'm driving in the car. I'll have friends honk at me, and I won't even notice. I'm just in my own world. But um, I think sometimes that ambient noise is helpful. I mean, there's just a, a drone of other people minding their own business helps you mind yours. It always makes me think of Hemingway writing in all those cafes. I thought that was cool. Now, let me ask you this. Um, what is your in- mental inventory or notebook inventory? I don't know how you would store these. What's your inventory of books waiting to be written, ideas for books and so forth? I've turned modern, and I actually keep them on a note on my phone now, which is probably dangerous, because if I lose that phone, I'm going to lose those ideas, but God forbid. But um, I have one main one that I'm going to try to work on this summer. I'm not really sure what it's about yet. I'm still making notes. It's, it's more complicated. It's more complex than I usually write. The ones that have been showing up lately are like Waking um, Sarah Ann, a little more complex and different from my usual. But um, And then I've got a lot of older novels that I want to polish up and see if next chapter would be interested in. So we'll see. Do you have any, um, do you have any ideas that, that you would like to write, stories that you would like to write, but you don't know if other people would even get them? 
You know what I'm saying? Yes. Every book I've ever written is like that, except, except the romances. Those were pre-contracted. But every time I sat down, I knew I was obsessed with it. And then the answer is, can anybody else care or f- want to read it? And I never ask that question till the book is finished, which my agent's trying to get me to ask. She's smart. She knows what she's doing. She's trying to get me to ask the que- that question. Hey, would anybody want to read this book? She's trying to get me to ask that before I write it. I don't know if I'll ever convert to that way. I just write what I write. It's, it's strange. Is there anything specific she wants you to write? Oh, no, I don't mean to make her sound like she's, you know, the puppeteer or something. She's wonderful. But she does. It would be great if I could think a little more commercially, but I don't. So I'm content with what I do. And I love it. I feel really privileged, actually, to be able to write that for these characters to show up from my unconscious and for me to have the time and the inclination to sit down and get those books on paper. That thrills me to death. Before I before I forget to ask you, I want I want to be sure to let people know how they can follow your work, your website, Facebook. How, how do you do that? I just got my website fixed up. God bless her. My friend Ellen Seltz in Alabama fixed it for me. We went to college together. She's another good friend. Um, she fixed it up, so it's all pretty. So you can find all my books on my website, and that'll lead you to any place if you want to buy them. And I, I have a blog that I don't keep up with enough, but maybe one day. <laughs> I always want to write fiction. I never want to write about my, my own opinions or my own self. But, um, oh, ChristyEnglish.com. And it's Christy, C-H-R-I-S-T-Y. And then English, like the language. Okay, well, thanks a lot, uh, Christy, um, for doing this. And wish you the best of luck with your book. And can't wait to see the next one. Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks again for to Christy, and thank you for listening. To listen to more episodes or to subscribe, you can visit our website at themiddleoftheair.com. See you next time. <laughs> <laughs>